Welcome to Love Hate Automate, the podcast where digital dreams dress tomorrow's reality. I'm your host, Dale Parr, and with my weekly guests, we'll be diving into the vibrant world of digital fashion. Each episode, we stitch together innovation, creativity, and a splash of the unexpected. I'm super excited to welcome today's guest, Rupert Braheny, ex-Google, ex-BBC, and a fashion retail expert. Welcome to the show, Rupert. Hey, Dale. Thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, love being here. Appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. Well, before we kick off into the discussion around what we love, what we hate, and what we'd like to automate, it's probably a good opportunity to, to hear about your extensive experience. Please introduce yourself. Sure. So uh, I, I would describe myself as a, the dreaded creative technologist, and I, I had a number of roles over uh, 16 years at Google. But uh, the thing that I really enjoyed over the last few years was I did quite a lot of advisory work with our uh, e-commerce retailers and a lot of fashion companies in particular. And what was refreshing about them was they were pretty open to uh, some of the emerging technologies. So that, that was very exciting to me. It was a creative industry. Uh, they, uh, they they were interested and excited about what came next. And then I started doing uh, advisory for fashion houses. Fantastic. And, and what's keeping you busy at the moment? So I wrapped up with Google last summer and I figured there was a gap in the market here. AI, of course, was the rage, but uh, the one thing that just came through time and time again was this stuff was complicated. And so I, I set up a, a little startup called Cobalt, and we help companies integrate AI into their existing workflow so they can actually save themselves some money. Okay, that sounds really, really beneficial. Um, and I have heard a rumor that your grandparents may have a connection to fashion or the yes, text we had the brief okay, chat about that. Um, I would say fashion is in the uh, in the, the family blood a bit. My indeed, my grandparents met in a Scottish woolen mill about eighty years ago. They worked for a Lyland Scott making these beautiful cashmere cardigans and things like this. And uh, my mother was wardrobe mistress at a, a theatre for a while. My sister has got quite an extensive collection. I ran away. Everybody in my family has art, fine art degrees. I ran away and did science. But apparently you can't keep it uh, away for too long. Fashion always finds us in the end. Well, exactly. Fashion needs data science. Fashion needs technology more than ever. Absolutely. And it's always been about technology. I mean, all of the fear that you have with AI now, I mean, the Luddites were specifically targeting knitting machines, looms, things like this. So it was one of the first industries that en masse adopted automation. And yeah. so it's interesting, a couple of hundred years on, we, we see the same again and some of the same conversations too. This is it. There is a com- we're in the midst of a coming wave, aren't we, of, of technological solutions. And you're right. That's a, a great big, phrase, absolutely. A big, uh, a big barrier is often the people and the change, not, not the tooling. And I, I, it's a legitimate fear that people have. I, I can understand the concerns, particularly when there's a, you know, a time of transition like this. Uh, it's a very human response to it. Um, I'm, I'm definitely optimistic. I'm in the camp that this is going to offer so many more opportunities, but we're undoubtedly going to have to uh, revise what we consider work and a job. And I think jobs will change a lot, but humans are always good at finding work. And we need we need something to keep us going. We need something to, you know, these bigger projects and an element of uh, labor, mental or physical. So I, I've got every confidence we're going to navigate this as we always have. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Every industry faces a transformation or challenges, and I think fashion is right in the midst of it. And I think before uh, we kind of dig into your 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 love, um, I'd like to share a little bit of love, actually. Um, so um, what I've seen this week is uh, the Dematerialized, who are a Web3 agency and marketplace. Now, they, these guys were one of the kind of early movers when it came to kind of collectible fashion. Um, going back to probably 2021, um, founded by Marjorie Hernandez. Um, Marjorie has an incredible track record. She's also a co-founder of Luxo. Um, For those who don't know Luxo, Luxo is a layer one blockchain. And the purpose of their protocol is to create user profiles. Now, I think this is something everybody can benefit from because we all hate tedious password logins across various platforms and obviously Facebook Connect has been helpful um, but now Luxo is a cryptographic version of Facebook Connect so uh, what they're doing over there is really powerful Uh, but the reason I'm giving love to DMAT this week is because of what they're doing in Florence um, with Polymoda. Now between DMAT, Polymoda and an independent digital creator um, they're addressing a systemic challenge that fashion faces. Now that challenge is a requirement to needing to design better from the outset. And what I mean by that is considering um, what and how a product could have multiple life cycles um, using using digital tools to, to design from the very beginning, life cycle one, life cycle two. And those can be at any juncture, could be two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it happens to be. Uh, But it's about making sure that circularity is baked into the product at the very, very beginning, rather than it being an afterthought or leaving it to um, recyclers, fabric sorters or um, artisanal kind of makers to kind of create new purposes. Uh, Designers are encouraged to kind of think about it from the very, very beginning. So I just like to give credit to DMAT, Polymoda, and and their work in this area um and also it's big for an academic uh institution to do this because it can take up to three years for a syllabus to change and with technological advancements uh just developing at the speed they are with with ai um it's very difficult for traditional academia to keep up um and so this is this is a a good a good signal for me uh, a signal that that i wanted to give credit to this week so Rupert, tell us what you what you love about digital fashion and the technological space that surrounds it. So uh, this ties into a lifelong love of mine, which is video games. Uh, I would have said for all of the buzz about metaverse fashion over the last mm. couple of years, uh, realistically, well, one thing I, that always was core to everything we we did at Google and we're all about measuring and metrics and making informed decisions is the numbers. And the, the problem is the numbers just aren't there for the metaverse yet. And no. I appreciate Meta has invested a great deal of money here. But ultimately, if you're a brand, uh, do you go to Horizon Worlds or do you go where the people are now? And currently, I would say the two places that are ticking a lot of boxes about what we would take as some form of metaverse which is a shared 3d collaborative persistent world mm. is going to be no surprises here 
Roblox, and Fortnite. <laughs> and the fact they have such incredible numbers of daily users, repeat users, and actual purchasing in the apps is is blowing me away right now. So I think you've you've seen this with a number of uh, fashion houses are smart enough to spot this opportunity, and they're meeting the next generation of uh, fashion buyers where they are right now, which is in these games. Yeah, well, I've I was talking to uh, a studio that that specialises in um, fashion for Roblox. Um, and the, some of the numbers we were discussing um, just earlier this week is like 1.6 billion transactions on the wow. Roblox marketplace annually. It's phenomenal, phenomenal. There's a lot of products to choose from, a lot of players, very difficult to gain visibility, but if you do, you can obviously be very successful. And established brands have some, you know, some marketing budget, some ad spend, build experiences um it's incredibly powerful so do you see um do you see these games as being um well having the having the potential to to create a new category for brands a digital only category perhaps i think potentially yes but i i like this idea that it bleeds into the real world as well. So there's that oft-used and horrible portmanteau phrase, fidgetal, this idea of the physical and digital representation at the same time. And I have some friends active in this space and they're uh, <clears throat> redeemable NFTs and things like this where you can swap for the real world item. Um, the whole sense of this is clothes are in the real world about three things really, keeping you warm, keeping the water off your skin, and allowing you to express yourself, your personality to your community or the, the people you move amongst. And I'd say that you could do do the first two in a pair of like decently thick pajamas. And so what remains and what drives most of the fashion industry is, is self-expression and just communicating with the world. And if your community happens to be in these spaces and you're actually spending more time there, then I think, yes, absolutely maybe digital only clothes is okay because it fulfills i would have said the largest part of what clothing is for at the moment and you just you see this in cultures around the world what it actually says about yourself and your social standing uh that there are incredible means of communication and the games are leaning into that really really nicely and i've, I've no doubt we're going to see it cross-pollinate as well on the one hand you see some well-known brands uh, bringing some of their marks and some of the labels in there but you also see wonderful things like the pixel collections from uh, Lueve, if I say that yeah. correctly, where yeah, you right, get yeah. these incredible, yeah, these, these very blocky, pixelated, Minecraft-looking hoodies, mm -hmm. and uh, there was that famous pair of glasses with the, the pixel glasses too. So the, the cross-pollination becomes very, very interesting. So it seems like a very rich place to explore at the moment. Yeah, you've got the CryptoPunks kind of look, haven't you, with the glasses and that Lueve collection. Um, I think it's interesting that you don't always know digital fashion kind of crosses many, many categories and many tiers in, in a similar way that the traditional fashion does. Um, but the method of kind of like that, that level of understanding isn't necessarily always there. So you have fashion houses, um, like say Balenciaga, for example. Now you'd have an equivalent in the digital space would probably say Fabricant would be equivalent to that. Um, this is kind of couture, artistic fashion at a very, very high kind of creative level and production value. 
but you find that because, as you know, because of real-time gameplay, you know, what engines are capable of doing in terms of environment and concurrent users, you get a very different product when you're, when you're in-game. And so there are collectible items and there are items that can be worn in-game, and there's a disparity between the fidelity of those and how they move. And I still think there's a, probably a little bit of um, learning to be done, trying to trying to kind of like um, bridge that separation and also kind of educate users as to what they can expect when they purchase. For sure, early early days, and at the same point that that's partly what makes it so exciting is that you can put your foot in this space, not spend too much money, do your research and development, and get really good metric. You know the engagement levels. You can see what resonates and what doesn't. So. In the traditional fashion model, you just take weeks or months getting something out onto shelves before you yeah. find out if it sells or not. An idea that you can publish digitally to a game and just get a, a rapid A-B test right there is, is unprecedented. So I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about it as a platform for discovery and brand expansion. Fantastic. So what uh, are you... Hate always seems like a strong word, but it's called love-hate automate. So let's stick sure. with hate. So where, where are you at in the hate stakes? So so this is a, a concern that I've heard a few people voice, and I've, I've seen it myself in the industry. I mean, I'm from the big tech background and obviously <clears throat> famed for the, the layoffs over the last 18 months or so. But yeah. um, one slightly concerning attribute is the fact that the intern numbers seem to be going right down for next summer. And internships apprenticeships those are how we bring the next generation on that's how we pass the skills and institutional knowledge down and if we are pitching ai as merely very cheap interns that you can boss about and they don't take <laughs> toilet breaks well what happens to the real interns that need to get a foot in the industry yeah. even if it's going to be digital they need to learn somewhere so i am a little concerned that uh, recent graduates are going to find it harder to break into the industry and also the concern that some of the uh, traditional crafts are, are slipping from us. I mean, we see it already with embroidery and, and some of the, uh, the, the the seamstressing you see. And it's um, one of the brands I like in, in that side is Hermes, who famously have not outsourced this stuff. So they they see themselves, I think, as, as guardians of, of this heritage for hundreds of years. And they actually maintain that high level of, of craft work and expertise. So the same way that Swiss watchmakers do it. But there is a concern that we're going to lose some of this in this rush to digital. Yeah, I think it's really important that, that the digital tools are used in a way that empower and upskill. Um, and, you know, AI is used as merely a discovery tool that can kind of take it, take imagination into, into new realms, which I personally have found it very, 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 very good at, at that. Um, when you talk about the artisanal craft, I think that that hopefully should be maintained and almost increase in its importance and its value. Because if fashion brands can spend more time prototype designing, prototyping, sampling, it means they're close to the market. It means they know what they want before they go out to the artisanal um, facilities. The artisans know exactly what they want immediately there's less scope for miscommunication or misunderstanding everybody's more efficient so hopefully well i believe there can be a harmonious relationship there where you get the best of both worlds you get brands that are 
a quicker, close to the market, close to culture, very, very clearly understand what they want from their final garments, final pieces. And the level of communication into the artisans is the next level. And then everybody ends up with a product they're really, really pleased with. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that things will work in, in the right ways and those skills will be will be retained. Sure. And that, that, that could be the, uh, I'd say, the, the pendulum swing back from a lot of the AI creation just now. I mean, my, my sister is, again, fine art background, and she's carved out quite a nice niche for herself. She does watercolour pet portraits, and they're great. They're so good. And this is in the midst of, well, mid-journey swamping LinkedIn, and I'm guilty of that myself. <laughs> There's some great stuff out there. There's a lot of yeah. not great stuff, but she's yeah. still getting commissions way faster than she can possibly fulfill them just because she took the time to get good, build up her expertise, and just give something that I think is seen almost as a, a luxury now. So with the luck, I hope that handcrafted element will be seen as this this um, desirable thing and be priced accordingly. So I think there will always be a place for craft. This is really interesting. Like um, my son is not, is nine, Arthur, and um, he's he's really into art of all to, all, all types, all subjects, all materials, um, particularly kind of watercolors. Now, um, at Christmas. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag here. At Christmas, we were thinking about um, seeing if he would like some kind of tablet so he can kind of expand on his on his creations, you know. Uh, but we decided not to, and we got him a book of birds, and we got him some canvases and some watercolours, and he loves it. You know, he loves it. I suppose he doesn't know what he doesn't know, and he doesn't know what he doesn't have or, or miss, but... Um, you do think sometimes that, you know, having digital skills is fundamental and I'm sure he will get those and I'll encourage him to get those as he gets a little bit older. But right now, I think just having a great breadth of knowledge on how all these materials work and feel, I think, can only be can only be a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, just the whole thing of colour mixing and transmissive versus reflective pigments and things like this, it's... Uh... The digital does not necessarily prepare you for the real world. And I, I remember reading somewhere that there's concerns in the medical establishment that the fact that all of these interactions that young people are having now are, are pictures behind glass and they're just tapping surfaces. They don't have the same refined hand-eye mm. coordination yeah. that they maybe did in the past. And it's a concern because you, you need that, at least up until robots are doing all the surgery for us, which, you know, is, is happening quite quickly. But we, we do lose these things at our peril. So, yeah, great. Nice, nice decision. Good dad right there. Well, I think, you know, um, yeah, like I say, all these things will come around um, and he'll have access to all of these things eventually. But I think at the moment he just seems to like, he's one of these kids that likes to get his stationery, different types of pens, different types of pencils, paints, and he really enjoys it. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's it's working for him at the moment, which is good. Nice. So Automate, where are we at with Automate? What um, what would you like to see kind of, you know, develop, change, improve? What are your thoughts here? So sure, w one of my personal failings, I would say, is uh, styling. And it's, it's a kind of thing, when you see somebody that's really well put together, I... I greatly admire it and you can see it but you don't always know how to put your finger on it or at least i don't so the idea that you can potentially codify that and 
I, I think women tend to be good at this. There's more, I would say that that's in their upbringing to an extent in the way it isn't with boys as well. I, I think men tend to go from the mothers buy them stuff than their, their girlfriends do, than their wives do, if they're lucky. But there's an art to knowing what matches your figure and your skin type and the shape of your face and all this sort of a thing. And there are clear guidelines on this, but that's hard-won information. So one of the uh, startups I advised a couple of years ago, they, they sold on to Zalando before they could finish this up, but they, they did a great uh, line in basically augmented reality try-on, virtual try-on. It, it was screen-based, but they had this great uh, engine, and they were exploring this idea where you could take photographs of, say, famous people, and then the idea that the sort of the extension you could get from that is just, well, okay, find somebody that's my height and colouring and shape and then see what they're wearing the famous person and then just borrow that so it's a way of having a hollywood stylist on the cheap and i think there's definitely some opportunity there particularly with ai so i would love an ai personal shopper and stylist that, that knows who i am what i am and and how to sort of maximize my my look when i appear at meetings and stuff like that would be a real value add for me yeah I, I I think that would be that would be spot on, and I think certainly from a digital perspective, you know, um, if we go back to your love as, you know, as gaming in fashion proliferates, there's inventories are going to be enormous. Like we said, Roblox already have thousands and thousands of, of items, tens of thousands of hoodies alone. Um, yeah, AI stylists could be the next big thing. They could all have their own. You know personalities depending on how your your mood is that day or that week you could quickly engage with a stylist who may have a punk background or may have a fine art background who may have you know maybe from different parts of the world native america um, and they can help inspire you to dress your avatar but like you say why can't that be connected back into e-commerce somehow maybe some of those pieces can be could be sourced on the internet and then they can actually deliver, you know, a physical wish list. So, sure. And I think that aligns like really, with really what you tend to see now with bespoke, you know, editions of one just for you, your measurement, just in time, manufacture and delivery. And so you get something that in, in the old days was reserved for the very rich, which was to have somebody, have a tailor, have your personal tailor that would follow you through your life stages. Uh, what a dream that would be. And I know, you know, if you're at the top end, you would you would still have that. But uh, the fact that it's out there at the pinnacle of luxury is is something to be said for making that accessible. And then we can buy less because we buy something that looks better. We might pay more for it, but it does its job better and it lasts longer and we get more use out of it. So I think uh, there's a strong sustainability argument to be made there too. There is. That emotional connection is incredibly important. And I think that doesn't happen so much. Uh, hasn't happened very much in the last 20 years you know clothing has a shorter useful life um physically but also emotionally you know people move on and that's that seat that that desire for newness is uh well we, we humans do it in, innately you know everything new is exciting and so um fashion's had a had a real issue with that in terms of it's it's helped it grow massively but it's also been a huge drain on natural resources and had a real impact on labor forces. So I think everybody knows that that needs to be addressed. Um, but coming back to the stylist, yeah, I'd be 
all for that because I think most men dress in a certain way and they lock that in when they're about 21 and that's kind of how it stays. Guilty, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, excellent. Well, that actually wraps up uh, Love, Hate, Automate for this week. So, Rupert, thank you very much for joining us. Um, how can our audience stay in touch with you and, and your um, all your activities? Sure. So my startup is Cobalt Stars. That's cobaltstars.com. And uh, I actually post quite a bit of my creative work on uh, Instagram, but you can get the link from my Facebook, uh, not my Facebook, that's old-fashioned, uh, my <laughs> LinkedIn profile. So if, if you see the spelling of my name from the uh, podcast description, uh, check me out there. And uh, I, I did a little uh, piece with Vogue uh, this time last year, so you can see the design work I did with Vogue for uh, an article on AI in creativity. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And equally, um, any of you guys out there who want to connect with myself, uh, most active on LinkedIn, you can find me under uh, just my full name, uh, Dale Parr. So I'd just like to finish off by saying that whether you're a creator, a builder, or a player in the digital space, have fun and enjoy being at the frontier of technology that is definitely changing the future. See you next time.